0: This podcast is made possible by Sage People and U.S. Bank.
1: Hello, this is Alan Hockey, CFO of Service Master, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast.
0: This is episode 437.
1: I to be About the amazing work of Kiva and our borrowers, and the impact that we have in the world in front of us to alleviate poverty and to really improve financial inclusion for the poorest people in the world. Uh, I just I am thrilled to be part of the Kiva team and to lead. Uh, the functions that I'm responsible for and I want to make sure that I have a voice out in the ecosystem to share the story of SIVA and what we're trying to do.
0: From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Pamela yanchik Canelli, CFO of Kiva, a micro-lending not-for-profit seeking to ease poverty around the world. Pam's path to the CFO office at Kiva is dotted with multiple CFO tours of duty as well as operational and human capital roles. We ask Pam to look back after these words from our sponsor. Hello, Jack here. I have a message for you from the folks at Sage People. Decisions about your people should be driven by data. But is your HR department still using spreadsheets to keep track of your people? It's time to move to cloud. Understand what makes your employees tick. Know your best performers or determine absence trends all with a cloud, HR, and people system. Sage People empowers organizations to respond quickly and easily to changing priorities in today's shifting world of work. It means you can make sure your workforce is able to adapt while staying connected and engaged wherever they are. Discover how to get instant insights, at your fingertips. Visit us today at sage forward slash sage dash people. Hello, we're speaking with Pamela Yachik kanile CFO of Kiva, an international nonprofit with a mission to connect people through lending. To alleviate poverty. It's a micro lender. Pam, welcome.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Great to have you with us. As always, Pam, we always ask our finance leaders at the start to look back for us and tell us a little bit about themselves. Uh, but to zero in on those milestones they feel helped prepare them to be a CFO. And I know your your, uh, your CFO career stretches back a ways. So, but what initial milestones that you feel help prepare you to step into that role?
1: Great, Jack. This is a really uh, interesting question as I reflect back on my career. uh, You know, the the amazing leaders that I've had an opportunity to work with and for throughout my career certainly uh, drive many of the milestones. But first, my early career was spent in the chemical industry. I have an undergrad in chemistry and an MBA in finance. And I joined a a large petrochemical organization that was based in Houston, and they had a leadership philosophy that really drove, uh, you know, future executives to work in different functions. So I, I had a real opportunity really early in my career to do different things. I worked in the laboratory. I worked in R&D. I worked in a marketing and supply chain role. I did corporate development and M&A work. Uh, and it really taught me, Jack, to, uh, to know deep inside of myself that I can do anything. And I think it was really a powerful experience to just be able to walk into a function that I didn't actually have a lot of subject matter expertise, but you know, leadership and management are core in all of these different functions. So again, I looked at what are the, the high impact goals that we needed to create, how to gain alignment and commitment of the team, what was the compelling future for the team, and then what metrics really drove performance. Another really big milestone for me was when I moved to the Bay Area and had the amazing fortune to work at Genentech at the time of its really most significant growth. Uh, We launched more drugs at Genentech in a relatively short period of time than any other pharma and biotech organization past, present, and future, and it was such a pivotal time for me where I learned so much and had the opportunity to scale the organization. So even knowing, like coming to Kiva, I've been able to know what to do and when to do it and at what scale, and I think that's really important when you're thinking about change, you know changing an organization, scaling an organization. It's just as important to know what we do as to when we do it. Uh, and then third, this will be interesting to many finance leaders, is I had an opportunity at Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to be the global head of talent. And I know that sounds funny to some finance people. Why would, you know, why would a finance executive want to take uh, an HR executive-type role? Um, but I learned so much from really amazing HR leaders and the CEO who I had the opportunity to work with both at Genentech and at the Gates Foundation, Dr. Sue Desmond-Hellman. But I learned so much about culture change, transformation, how to create a truly powerful global organization, and how important both financial metrics and people metrics are to the success of an organization. So at Kiva, I am responsible for finance, but I also am responsible for HR, IT, real estate, and global facilities. And the time at at the Gates Foundation really prepared me to lead all of those functions here at Kiva.
0: Just looking down uh, your career path, there are so many, there are a number of CFO tours of duty, but of course, there are other titles as well. Uh, You mentioned. Uh, the human capital uh, title, which you seem to have had human capital milestones. Uh, you have a not-for-profit, of course, with the, the Gates Foundation. Uh, but you were the yeah. chief procurement officer in the past. You've had Sorry. a lot of different roles along the way. And I, unlike some of our finance leaders, you didn't necessarily lock on to finance as the only place to get your career experience. you deep in operations in a lot of these roles as well. I'm wondering if you can just speak to that. You seem to be more free-wielding in uh, the types of (laughs) roles you are
1: willing to take on. Yeah, you know, Jack, for me, I just want to do really important work to further the impact of any organization that I'm part of. And, you know, the procurement role is a really great example we had implemented an ERP solution, and through that implementation, we were having major issues in procurement. We were lacking the ability to uh, both procure goods and services as well as to effectively pay. So our entire procure-to-pay process was failing as a result of an ERP implementation. So the CFO at the time, David Eversman, who then became the CFO at Facebook, He asked me would I consider going over and leading the procurement function and really working to get it back into a a really powerful organization and really fix the procure to pay process. And it was a, a really interesting opportunity to work across finance, to work across procurement, to work across technical operations, which we did manufacturing. Uh, to work really in every part of our organization, from research and development to sales and marketing, to fix the procure-to-pay process, and then to really stand up a very powerful procurement organization that saved the organization over time about $100 million a year. So, you know, I came in to, to fix a problem, and then once the problem was fixed, I was actually able to transform the organization to be even more powerful with my team. Uh, I, you know, the team was always amazing. It just, you know, didn't know how to problem solve out of the challenges that they were faced. And so partnering with, with this really great group of procurement experts, we were able to get that turned around within a year.
0: Wow. I, I want to uh, invite you to look back again towards the end of the interview when we go to what we call our mentoring round questions. But right now, we have to find out more about Kiva and uh, the, the, uh, the types of offerings uh, a micro lender, an organization like this, is so interesting. There's so much many of us don't understand the dynamics that work globally today. Can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Kiva and, and what, the role it's playing around the world today?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, as you said, Kiva is an international nonprofit. We were founded in 2005 around this whole notion of eliminating and eradicating poverty globally through microlending using a crowdsourcing platform of Kiva.org. We're based in San Francisco, um, and as you said, our mission is to connect people through lending to alleviate poverty. Um, We really celebrate and support people looking to create a better future for themselves, their families, and communities. So we've supported over $1.2 billion in loans to individuals in over 80 countries with a repayment rate of 97%. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, And then about a month ago, we just announced an exciting new initiative with the government of Sierra Leone, where we're going to create a nationwide digital identification system leveraging blockchain that's really designed to help the Sierra Leone 7 million adults access financial services that they need to improve their lives. I mean, just think about this. This is just like groundbreaking effort. Um, we hope to launch this new platform in Sierra Leone in 2019 and then to sign up additional countries really soon. But, you know, Kiva is a, is a mechanism to give a loan. It's not a charitable gift. It's a loan. And uh, I was just reading on Twitter last night where people were talking about they made, uh, a, you know, a loan of $500, and it goes out, it gets repaid. It goes back out, it gets repaid. I mean, some of the numbers, Jack, were staggering. Where a $500 loan would accumulate over time to be nearly $20,000 of loan activity over time. I mean, that's amazing. The velocity of money that is able to flow through our platform is—it just—it's just like it's. So smart, like the people that that were here from the very beginning and wanted to leverage uh, microfinance through this, you know, lending process were just brilliant. And you know, having literally over 1.2 billion dollars flowing through Kiva is astounding. And you know, the the thing is, it's it could be uh, a restaurant owner in Oakland that wants to get a loan to be able to scale her restaurant so that she can hire more low-income women to learn skills in the service industry. It could be a Syrian refugee living in Lebanon who wants to set up a beauty supply organization. She has no, no credit, no identity, right? They fled Sierra Leone with the clothes on their back. And these loans from Kiva through our field partners have been able – we've been able to accumulate real high-quality loans so that they can really get high-quality goods uh, to be able to set up their new businesses or expand businesses. Uh, It's just – it's an amazing model, and the transformation that's going on at Kiva right now, particularly around this uh, blockchain initiative – Kiva Protocol, is really another groundbreaking effort by Kiva.
0: Now, I I would suspect that you look at uh, a number of the same metrics that CFOs of other uh, traditional lending organizations might pay attention to, uh, but at the same time, there are probably some that are quite unique since this is such an interesting organization. What would you tell us as far as the metrics that matter uh, to you?
1: Yeah, you know, we think about customers and partners around many, many dimensions. Probably the trickiest um, metric for us to to really, um, that we really are, we're always trying to make sure that it's a well-thought-through, highly-efficient metric is really impact, right? So does a dollar in an Oakland restaurant have the same impact as a dollar to this woman in in Lebanon, for example, right? So there's a lot of debate internally. Um, We also have uh, partners that include corporate partners that leverage Kiva's platform for both customer and employee engagement campaigns, like the partnership that we have with NetSuite and others. Um, again, we're always looking at first-time lenders because just like any first-time purchaser on an, on a, you know, online marketplace, that that's a, a key metric for us. But I care deeply, Jack, about the number of loans that go to women. I care deeply for about the number of loans and the repayment rate. You know, having that 97% repayment rate is so important to us to continue to get high quality loans into the, in funders and loans into the system. So it's just, uh, there's a, a lot of metrics that, that we leverage. And of, of course, as a nonprofit, we care deeply about how do we invest all of our money, whether it's expenses around compensation uh, or other types of investments. And so we, you know, we look at the normal things that, all of my finance colleagues all over the world care about, you know, cost to hire. What is the headcount cost? What is our global workforce plan? You know, how do we think about all of that going forward as well? But the, but we're, really, we look at some some really interesting uh, other metrics that are a little um, a little challenging to, to really land on. How do we calculate that? How do we make sure that it's you know, it makes the most sense to all of us and it helps us with our decision making.
0: I'm wondering if you could just share maybe one that's distinct that you perhaps hadn't used prior or didn't have the value it does for you at it does at Kiva?
1: Yep. Yeah, certainly the impact metric. Uh, we you know at, at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation they also struggled with some of the, the impact the theory of change within some of the poorest communities in the world, and understanding are we making the necessary changes through the work that we're doing. So impact is always the the metric that is probably the most important and the most challenging.
0: Now, we always like to ask for what we call a finance strategic moment. And for someone with career roots, uh, as varied as yours, uh, I'm sure there have been many, uh, but this is uh, given your lines of sight into the organization along the way uh, during your career. Was there a moment where you identified a risk, an opportunity uh, that led you to move uh, the organization in a new or different direction, or whatever it might have been uh, when I asked you for a finance strategic moment, what might come to mind?
1: Yeah, so during my time at Genentech, we were, and and I think this is probably uh, uh, in every role that I've ever been in, but in particular at Genentech, we were often in a situation where we were in a trade-off between impact to patients and revenue. And so, you, you know, some organizations would just as soon sell a product to a patient or to a, a buyer to make the revenue. But at Genentech, we really did the right thing by focusing on our patients over profits. So the level of integrity that, that was at Genentech and how they thought about investments and how they thought about revenue projections really was so, uh, it was such an honor to be in those conversations Um, As we all know, tough decisions are rarely black and white, but holding all of ourselves to do the most right thing is really crucial for us. You know, organizations over the last decade or so have really faced uh, an integrity challenge. And I personally believe that the CFO has their hands on the wheel of integrity And so, you know, Genentech had a very powerful corporate planning engine, which is one of the things I want to bring to Kiva, so that uh, every year we did a 10-year long-range plan with various scenarios. And what that did for us was uh, that helped us to really create a resilient and agile organization. So not every initiative, whether it's a Kiva or Genentech, are going to work. But we were well prepared for both success and failure of any initiative. And like I said, I am bringing this focus to the planning season here at Kiva so that we're well we're well prepared to have really amazing positive results, and we're equally prepared if something unfortunate should happen. Um, so you know, I, I just really learned, that you're always threading the needle around revenue and integrity and doing the most right thing in any organization. Um, and the second thing that I really learned is that in, you know, implementing some level of constraint, and again, this comes through the planning process, makes for better decision-making and more creativity. Um, so I've had the good fortune to work at places like Genentech, like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and we were able to implement both financial and headcount constraints to be able to force us to make uh, the appropriate trade-off portfolio decisions and investment decisions in the organization. Because I believe that uh, it actually forced higher quality hiring and better investments uh, across the organization by introducing constraints but it's not always obvious to people um, when you take a role and you're in a really successful organization, why would you have constraints? Because I believe in my heart that it creates better decision-making. Now, we like to touch on uh, talent.
0: Given the fact that you've been in these uh, top talent roles as well, I feel like I want to ask you, you know, as a talent leader, what is it that you wish – uh, you know, the CFO would have grasped. And now, as a CFO, what is it, what are the types of questions you want to ask that talent leader? Can you, can you give us a, a, some idea of the give and take there?
1: Certainly. Uh, you know, the, the finance organization, most finance organizations really, like I said, have their hands on the wheel of integrity around uh, policy and practice and decision making and investment management. And, and I think that having the CFO be in that driver's seat is really critical and a really strategic partner with the, exec- the entire executive team. And, you know, I think there's some finance organizations that end up in a back seat to sales. And I, you know, I believe that because of the combination of finance investments and integrity, having the finance organization be front and center. But that does require that your finance leadership and the executives in the finance team really deeply understand the business, that we're just not reporting on what did the numbers kick out of the ERP system, but it really is understanding the business, understanding the drivers. What are the leverage? What are the levers for change? How to think strategically so that they can be a real thought partner with the rest of the organization. So I, I, I'm always looking for, you know, people that want to understand the business in a really deep way, and that in some cases have actually come out of the business and taken a finance leadership role or a finance business partner role because the, the level of understanding of, you know, of the organization is critical. Like, like when, I, when I was at Genentech, I would ask my finance team to do ride-alongs with the field sales organization when they go out and visit physicians because uh, they actually then understand the flow of money in a way that they wouldn't get by sitting in front of their computer all day. So I'm always looking for people that just have a level of curiosity and a deep understanding of the business to be the next finance leadership and to, to really drive the strategy of the organization going forward.
0: After a very and multi-chapter career, Pamela janczek Keneally enters the C-suite at Kiva, an international not-for-profit with a mission to connect people Through lending, we ask Pam, what's exciting her about finance and business today? After these words from our sponsor. Technology adoption, business partnership, strategic direction, resource optimization, and honestly, scalability right? We are past the point in business of throwing people to solve problems. Like, Let's take a five-second pause and RIP to that business strategy, right? <laughs> you can't just throw people to solve problems anymore. Hi, I'm Rowan Tonkin, your host at Being Planful. You just heard from Chris Ortega, a recent guest on the show. If you want to hear from guests like Chris talking about today's trends for tomorrow's FBA leaders, you can subscribe at beingplanful.com. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay, so we're going to move to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to uh, mentor aspiring finance leaders. What's exciting you about finance and business today?
1: You know, I think the level of strategic thinking that is happening at executive team levels is so exciting. I think there's some tremendous breakthroughs that are happening in technology. Like, like at Kiva, this blockchain initiative that we have in Sierra Leone and we'll be moving to other countries over the next year or so, like that is a perfect intersection of technology uh, impact to the poorest people in the world and finance. And I'm just, I couldn't be more thrilled about how, how exciting that work is. It's difficult. It's challenging, right? The, the work of Kiva is, you know, we have multiple entities that, have, that because of regulatory environment, that run our business. But it, it just makes it, it's, these are tough problems, but they're kind of juicy and, and challenging and, I think there's a lot of new territory new you know new thinking happening, and i couldn't be more excited I, like i said i I feel like where finance and technology intersect there's huge breakthroughs, and at Kiva, the breakthrough is really around supporting the poorest people in the world
0: can i can I just visit that sort of intersection finance and technology because in the past you uh, you included an ERP chapter. Now, once again, being intrepid and and running towards blockchain. Is there some commonality here that that's led you to this intersection again?
1: Yeah, I I just think you know that we we have the good fortune to run Kiva on NetSuite. It is it is a really robust system that we can run all of our highly complex entities through one integrated system, and I think that's so important. Again, when I talked about I want finance leadership to understand the business to be out working with uh, business leaders, understanding the data, really doing deep analysis and getting insight from all of that, the good news is today we're not spending as much time as we used to validating data. We're not ticking and tying all day long. The systems do much more of that for us in an automated fully integrated fashion and that provides a lot more capacity to do real business partnership to make really and to gain real critical insight into the business. Like I would say at Kiva and probably at at Genentech the amount of insight that the finance team brought to the business was breakthrough, and I I just think some of that capacity that was created through ERP implementations and other technology really allowed for the the folks in finance to step up into a more strategic, data-driven role and leadership around strategy.
0: We always like to ask the the question, what do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? And I have a sense that you're probably a lifelong learner, and at the same time, uh, you know, there were some hard lessons that were learned along the way that maybe you could have learned earlier. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Does anything come
0: to mind when I ask that question?
1: You know, there's always, I can look back at, you know, multiple spots in my career where, you know, I... I may have driven an organization to move faster than it was ready. So that's the gift that I've gotten over the last decade is really understanding the culture, the ability to execute, and you know, the readiness of an some of the significant changes that need to happen. So you know, I think driving harder than what the organization was ready for was, is probably a key learning for me. I'm not sure if anybody would have told me that at 30, I would have believed them. So it may have just been one of those lessons that I needed to learn on my own um, by, like, realizing I looked around and I was the only one in the place I was and everybody else was behind me saying, help us. We don't understand what you're trying to accomplish. And so bringing people along is a really key attribute that, I've had to learn for myself, um, and that I can't do it myself, right? It's a team, um, and so figuring out ways to pace with the organization. And what are some key wins that gives the organization and gives the team the confidence to take more risks? You know, I I was just fortunate early in my career to be in, you know, to, to have leaders that did give me real capacity to take risks and say things and come up with new solutions. But not everyone grows up like that. And so, you know, helping people take, you know, take risks, you know, how do we, if we fail, how do we recover from that, uh, I think is really critical. You know, there's a lot of conversations about fail fast. And it's that's not the easiest thing for individuals always to think of, especially people that, that are you know, highly educated, have done really well in school, done really well in their careers, they don't want to fail, right? So when you say fail fast, it, it doesn't, you know, people haven't built up the muscle around that. So learning how to, like, figure out ways that they can start to get some experience around risks and failures, so that they can gain that agility and resiliency that's required for organizations in 2019 and beyond.
0: Can, do you have a personal habit or some routine that you 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 uh, that that's contributed in some way to your professional success?
1: Yeah. So over the last, I would say, five years, I've really focused. And I know that this is, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about this, but I've focused on much more mindfulness as part of my leadership development. So I, you know, I meditate uh, at night before I go to sleep so that I don't go to sleep with, you know, worry or challenges that I am really able to start my next day almost in a clean slate, that I'm not carrying around fear or anxiety or anger or anything, that I'm really uh, able to pay attention to my emotions around the work. Um, Because, you know, when you move fast, when you move in an organization like Kiva that's making a lot of changes, it's important that we have the emotional intelligence to be able to understand where the organization is from a culture or a morale perspective and then influence some of those changes. And I had to learn to do that through leadership development, mindfulness, and really having a network of people in my life that work with me on all of those things, but in particular people that will tell me the truth around my leadership.
0: Do you have a a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders?
1: Interesting. Um, one of the practices that I do is about once every three weeks, I pick a topic that I want to go deep on and learn about. So there's a lot of new thinking around that comes out of engineering uh, around agile organizations. And what does that mean and how to, how to create a more agile organization. So I'm reading a lot uh, of information around agility and how to build an agile team. Um, when I, a couple of weeks ago, my, my, my weekend study was really around new thinking of culture and culture change. Um, and so I, you know, I really studied some, some of the newer thinking. Uh, around uh, culture and culture change. And, again, there's multiple really powerful authors around all of that that I just, I just, you know, like I said, I pick a topic and then I go deep on it. And then, you know, if I, I share some of it with my team, I share some of it with the executive leadership team here at Kiva as well.
0: And that's sort of a routine. It sounds like you've done that with other topics and you kind of uh, – that's you know, right. You put a limit on it, and then you you choose a new topic to move to. I guess.
1: That's right. Yeah. Like you know, um, back in the spring, you know, when all when all the discussion about blockchain was happening, and I was starting to have discussions with Kiva about this role, I needed to understand it in a deeper way, and so I talked to uh, a lot of people in the pharma and biotech industries that are using blockchain and identity for moving drugs around the world um, so I'm really and I studied a lot of McKinsey articles around blockchain and business and how to leverage all of that so um, you know some of the cryptocurrency activity that's happening um, I you know I uh, when I was at, at Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation I was studying behavior health in organizations and what some of the newer thinking was around, um, you know, managing uh, a large global organization around behavioral health concerns, both of families, and employees, as well as their spouses. So, again, it's, you know, like I said, I pick a topic and go deep um, and, uh, and, you know, talk to experts in the area. And the great news is being at Kiva or being at Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, all I would do is send an email to somebody and say, hey, I see you're an expert in XYZ. Will you have a conversation with me about that? And they totally will get on a call with me and give me all of the insights that they could possibly have on the topic. A great example today, we're thinking about Kiva's compensation uh, strategy and philosophy. And so I started talking to people that have done really interesting compensation structures that came out of hedge funds and other type of, you know, banking and venture capitalists. And, again, I, I'm just getting curious about what are, what are ways to get creative around compensation that, you know, that really helps an organization. So, but, you know, all I did was reach out to a few people, and they got me in touch with a few other people. And before I know it, I'm on calls and going deep with these folks about areas where they have expertise.
0: Okay, well, it's time to jump to our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months?
1: Yeah, so the first priority is really helping the organization create capacity for fundraising. We have very, very large aspirations as an organization to be able to fundraise, to be able to build each of these uh, Kiva protocols in many of the poorest countries in the world. And that comes through really a robust uh, funding and investment portfolio. And so I'm really working with our corporate development team to think about how do they have a really robust fundraising strategy to be able to, to support all of our aspirations here at Kiva. So that's One. I'm also really working with a team around internal investments as well. Um, You know, what do we need to do to create capacity for finance and other parts of my organization without adding heads? Uh, Oftentimes that's our first out of the box. It's like we're getting busy. Let's just add somebody. Let's hire someone. And I'm really challenging the team to think about, are we doing things that we shouldn't do? Are we doing things we need to automate? Are we doing things that uh, are done by a partner instead? And so I'm really looking at creating capacity across all of the operational functions so that we don't have to hire. I would rather hire a corporate development person than another accountant, to be honest with you. I want I to want, I want fundraising and revenue-generating headcount and not uh, accounting headcount. Um, So it's important that we figure out as a function how to create capacity for ourselves. And then the third is really I want to be a spokesperson for Kiva. I want to be out talking about the amazing work of Kiva and our borrowers and the impact that we have in the world in front of us to alleviate poverty And to really improve financial inclusion for the poorest people in the world. I I just, I am thrilled to be part of the Kiva team and to lead uh, the functions that I'm responsible for. And I want to make sure that I have a voice out in the ecosystem to share the story of Kiva and what we're trying to do. For having me, it's been
0: really fun. Thank you. Hey, don't forget, we're always happy to hear from you. Drop me an email at Jack at CFO Thought Leader.com.